Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard, a pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, what the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, let's go on a Tuesday. Let us all talk about what took place last night. It was a press conference. It was basically during the Monday night game, and I'm sure the Pacer folks were really happy that it also was going on during their home game. Uh, But it was interesting, and it was one hell of a performance. I mean, it really was. I was talking a little bit earlier today, and, you know, people were bringing up, what'd you think about it? And it was part comedy. Uh, Part discouraging, in terms of the football product, I do, I want to give Jeff Saturday every chance to make it happen, whatever that means. And what I mean by that is, to me, he's going to have a gig regardless at the end of the year. I just don't know what it's going to be. I don't think we know what it's going to be. I'll get to that in a second, but back to the performance type. This is almost like what Jim Irsay has been doing, and this goes back past before the start of the season. There's been a lot of performing going on, and he's been getting a great deal of accolades for those performances. Yeah, the one before the start of the season with his band, it was awesome, Lucas Oil Stadium playing at different venues for his band, you know, being a part of that, putting together his um, pop culture music museum. Then what happens, you know, you, you, you get the headlines from the league meetings. Everybody in Washington loves you because you're the only one that was outspoken on the guy that they want to get rid of as their favorite team's owner, Daniel Snyder. Get accolades for that. It just, last night seemed like more of a skit. It seems like something that you would see like on in living color or on SNL last night. Because you really did. You had a, a trio of dynamics working. You had a guy that wanted to make sure that all eyes were on exactly what he was doing. Now, granted, 
you have to be clear, or at least as clear as possible, because you're doing something that's happened once in about 90,000 years. And in general, when you bring in an interim guy, you're doing something that in large part never works. So you had that. The, the main attraction was the owner. He actually started the show and basically ended the show last night. You know, cracking jokes, making light of, maybe taking a jab here or there. I mean, it really was. It was like a performance. And then Jeff Saturday was playing the role of, of the straight man here. He was like Andy Griffith on the Andy Griffith show. He was the role of the straight man. And listen, you could not have handled it from his standpoint any better than he did. Can you imagine? Now, he clearly brought all of this upon himself, and had he turned down that gig, we're probably still staring at Frank Reich for the remainder of the season, I would guess. I mean, you don't really know. You just go by what they say. I'm not suggesting they were lying, but there's a lot of stuff that they're not going to let anybody know that actually takes place. They'll tell you their version of the truth. But after that game on Sunday, you know, that thing clearly hit the Richter scale, so something was going to have to happen. So you had, you know, the, you had the performance, and then you had the straight guy, and then I, I, I don't know how I put Chris Ballard because Chris Ballard looked about as awkward as possible out there. It looked like Merle Haggard showing up at a Fresh Fest here at Market Square Arena back in 1987. It just, wait a minute. Awkward, don't want to be here. Jaw clenched tight, angry. And I'm sorry, this is my opinion, and this is exactly how this goes for three hours. It looked like a dude that not one ounce was on board with the decisions that have been made or this particular decision. Everybody wanted to talk about he just knows that his time, who knows? That's what I feel, too. I feel that whatever happens, Jeff Saturday, regardless, is going to have a gig here. But who knows what he ends up doing or ends up happening to Chris Ballard. How do you feel right now if you're Chris Ballard? And I know that everybody, including myself, incredibly down on Chris Ballard, incredibly down on where this team is right now. But let's take that out of the equation if you can, just for the sake of the argument for a moment. How would you feel last night if you were in any similar situation? Just put yourself in the shoes or the really tight button-down shirt of Chris Ballard last night and tell me how you would have felt. Tell me how you would have felt. He looked like the most uncomfortable man on earth last night. He's supposed to be one, the one making this decision. And that was clearly made by the owner. I don't know if this is going to work. Probably not. It, nothing probably would have worked. To me, if you truly wanted to give Jeff Saturday a shot then 
give him more of a shot to acclimate himself and not like five seconds. Hey, go ahead and do this incredibly difficult gig and start now. That's where you give him a legitimate shot if he was really being gauged or judged or tested here on what you hope is somebody that can get the job done. If he was truly being tested, would they have thrust him into this right now, this mess? If you truly wanted to see what he had, would you not wait to maybe more fairly judge him? And that's my belief. My belief is that he's not fairly being judged, that he already has a gig. Regardless of what happens, I think he has a gig on the tail end. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I don't know if that's going to be as the head coach. I don't know if that's going to be as the general manager, team president, whatever. That's what I don't think any of us know. You know, this has been brought up a lot today, and I do. I fall into this category. I owned this to Kyle a little bit earlier, and anybody knows me, you know that I love what I suggest would be the golden era of Colts football during the Manning era here. I talk about it all the time. In loving memory. Always. And I always give you a reason why, because I go all the way back, and I knew when it was just a crap fest. I remember when it was that bad. And in fact, we have recently, it's been jogging our memories of how bad that has been. And clearly, a lot of you are there with me, but certainly the Colts owner, Jim Ursay, is right there with me. He's right there with me, right there with us. Those of us that will never let go. That was the first greatness in football. It was the first... This is real life of NFL football. This is what happens when you have a real team. I get caught up too. I get caught up in that. I get caught up in movies. I get caught up in music. There is nobody that lives in the past probably more than me. I will own that. And with this football team, the owner is right there. Let me give him a different direction, though. If you really, truly want to live in the past, which he does, which I do, which many of you do as well, then when you hand over the reins to this team, step back. Step back like you did in the era in which you are so fond of. The era in which you love. The era in which you cherish and you wish you had days like that again. You are always going back and you're asking advice of those that you trust from that era. Take my advice. One of the huge reasons, if not the largest reason, outside of having one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time is that you stepped away from it. You stepped away. Somebody was brought in that was qualified. Somebody was brought in that got the job done. And you hung out, and you were cool, and you were the owner. I mean, now you have that. You have music. I would like to see him more like that than I would see him 
transform into Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones, in that way, in that fashion, doesn't work for Jim Irsay, and it's not going to work for this organization. Jim Irsay, embracing the golden era like we all do, if you're truly going to embrace it, hire somebody to do the gig and then step back from the gig. And if you want to make a decision on that decision maker and the inadequacies, but you don't want to do this. It has not worked here. So we all love it, and I do too. But this is something where you have to step away. You have to be the guy that shows up at the Blue Crew tailgate and hands out money and sings lead on pink houses and enjoys from the owner's box and then cuts videos in front of your RV and hangs out with your dog Drake and hangs out with the family. Do all that stuff, but here now in the future, let somebody else that you hire to to run the organization and the football operations do it. There's been a lot of meddling, certainly recently, and it's not good. It's not good for this organization, and it's really not good in terms of if you do really want to embrace in a loving way, the golden era, because that's not how this was in the golden era. I'm not talking about the personnel, and I know the quarterback is different. I'm just talking about in in which you are at your best as an owner. That is the role that needs to be played, not this one. Not a press conference performance that has everybody scratching their heads and wondering what the hell is going on. Not throwing Jeff Saturday, and I know this is Jeff Saturday's decision too, but I mean, throwing him right into an inferno right here. Now, I can say that, but I don't know how much of an inferno that it is because I don't know how much this this trial, this interim basis really does matter. I think he's got a gig. I think they trust him. They like him. I think they want him on board, and I just don't know in what capacity it's going to be. I don't think there's much of an interim trial going on as everybody else would lead you to believe. But once you make that decision, once you make the decision on Chris Ballard and what you're going to do, last night you say that there's no way in the world, this is my words, not his, he's going to go anywhere. Once you make that decision, then step back. Sing a song, write a song. Get your band together. Do that. That's when it worked the best around here. Not the meddling, not the tying together of general manager. That's what I thought about last night, and not the circumstances of the moment, but just how awkward Ballard looked was, to me, exactly how awkward Ryan Grigson looked at the press conference when he and the head coach were tied together. It was like, I don't want to be tied to this guy. This guy doesn't want to be tied to me. It was like, Ballard last night, what am I doing up here? I don't want any part of this decision. Hell yeah, it was a spirited conversation, as it was said last night, because I didn't want any part of it. I can't believe we're going down this path. Just let the people that you hire to do the gig do the gig. That's what you do from here on out, and that's, that's what you do to really, truly, again, embrace what you love so much. 
And I'm at fault with this, too, and I do it all the time. I'll always do it. It was just great moments of football, and it really was. It was it was signature. Um, it, there was a, an evolution of the game of football around here that we not only saw at that level, but you saw it trickle down to the high school level. And it transformed, really, high school football on a high school Friday night to what we see today. really wasn't that way prior to that era. We all have fond memories of that era. Everybody. There's not one person out there that can't stand Jeff Saturday. Jeff Saturday is truly a man of the people. I'm not worried about Jeff Saturday right now. I think Jeff Saturday has a gig regardless. I think Park Frazier can come out and (laughs) call whatever play and things don't work. And everybody's going to say, well, that's just the way the team is right now. Now, if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm worried. If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm wondering what my future is. But I'm not worried about the future of Jeff Saturday. I think Jeff Saturday has a seat. But once you find out where you're going directionally, take five. Take five, back away, and do what you did back in the golden era. And you let those that you hire professionally handle the gig. Oh, yeah, I could sit here and say, well, you get a quarterback while you're at it. But let them do the job. That, that to me, that is the way if you really, truly want to embrace with yesteryear and the good old days, that's what you do. That's exactly what you do. I don't know if last night, to me, I didn't look at it as disgraceful. Again, I just thought it was a performance. You know, it was like a skit. I kept waiting for, like, Fire Marshal Bill to jump out there. Eh, like a, in living color or something. What is happening? It was weird. Unfortunately, that is kind of, you found yourself, oh, man, this is really weird. But it's not like you were shocked by anything of it. So, yeah, really do. Embrace the past. Embrace the past, hire somebody to do the job, and then step away. Enjoy the fans. Enjoy being an owner. If you want to be you know, an outspoken owner in terms of the NFL in this direction, okay. But let somebody else from here on out handle operationally what's going on with this football team. That, to me, best benefits your connection with the past, which, much like me, much like a lot of you out there, you love very much. All right, we can hit that if you like at 239-1070. Email address is jmv1070thefan.com. I know I left out Sausage and Michael Jordan <laughs> and shots at Luck. I'd take a shot at Luck, too. I gave him $25 million thinking, oh, please come back, please come back, please come back. Why'd you screw me like this? Why'd you screw me like this? And then he didn't. I'll take that. Thank you very much. What was the other thing? Quantile? I have no idea what that meant. I thought, did I hear that? Because I'm hard of hearing a little bit. I'm going, what is that? What? Quantile? Know what that was? And you know, as far as Chris Ballard is concerned, yeah, Chris Ballard, you could tell. Chris Ballard wanted to, like, fire on somebody, so he fired on 
the people that give him grief about wide receiver. He fires on people that talking about how his job has run its course here. And it is his shortcoming as to the reason why we find this team in a situation in which it is. If that offensive line plays to the level in which he built it and expected it and told everybody it was going to be, this does not happen. So he had a lot of reasons to be angry last night, but my man was angry looking. You have that Ballard quote from last night? I mean, you could tell, too, uh, you have that Ballard quote about where he wide receiver and you guys blame. He's always got – he got a cuss word loaded to be edgy. I guess I do, too. That's why I say numbnuttery and jackassery and stuff. I'm going to be edgy. Actually, I know like three words, and those are two of them. But it was it was a performance last night. But there's a lot you can take away from it, and there's a lot you can take away from it from those that suggest that the embrace of the past is not good. Seriously, there is an angle of the past that is good, and that is hiring somebody, letting somebody go with it, and then stepping away and doing other things as an owner. That's how you fully embrace the past. All right, we can hit that at 239-1070 if you like, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. I know you guys are in there. Thank you very much for watching the stream, the app. That's HD Radio. What else we got last night? A little college hoop. Yeah, I'm not going to bring up 33 because I really shoved it up there last night, and I'll probably end up getting it back tomorrow night, but I can't lie. It felt good last night. Felt good. You guys know who you are, too. Just right up there. That box score shoved right up there. I hope it hurt. I hope it hurts, and I hope it hurts. And I hope they're thinking right now, man, maybe maybe we shouldn't trade him. I hope so. That'd make me feel so good. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on as well. Greg Rakestraw, the postgame show host, coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, ben Brown, I don't even know if we want to go over the numbers. You guys want to go over the numbers from Sunday? I am curious, the offensive numbers that were put up against New England, how all-time it was in terms of pro football focus. And I mean all-time bad. Which is all connected and all related as to where we are right now. Let's count how many circumstances you believe occurred that led us to the point in which we are right now. Where do you want to start? I don't. We don't have to go all the way back. Just back to the start of the season. Alec Pierce, Rodrigo Blankenship, Gilmore. Offensive. I mean, so many different layers of circumstances that lead us to where we are right now. It's amazing. And I'm talking about single plays, not just overall eight games. Nine games, bad offensive, whatever it is. What are they right now? Three, five, and one through nine weeks of the season. But just the plays themselves that lead us down this path, it's incredible. You guys are asking me if I trust Jeff Saturday. I don't know what to think about Jeff Saturday. People want to say, this is all about PR. No, this is about a belief. They believe in him. 
They do believe in him. Even if people like me are skeptical about it, they firmly believe. Or I, let me take that back. He believes in him. He believes in him. Anybody out there buy? I'm not suggesting that they would win, but I'll ask you this. I know why they're keeping Matt Ryan out, because that's certainly larger financial than anything else. And this looks like a huge tank job, and you can make the argument that that's well played considering what they need and where they need to get quarterback-wise in the draft. But I did want to ask you this. Anybody at all? Because this is going to be good. Anybody all believe because of the history and what he has done in the past that if he really wanted a chance to win, for example, in Vegas on Sunday, that Nick Foles should start? Or is that just me being biased like a lot of you suggest against Sam Ellinger? If you really wanted to win, if you were looking to win, would he be a better option in Vegas over Sam Ellinger? I know what you're going to say. There is no option. This team stinks. Okay, but I need a little bit more from you on this. It just can't be that easy. I need you to think. And I need an honest opinion. I don't give a crap what you think about Foles, what you think about Foles in the past. None of it. Either way, positive or negative. In your mind, would he you would he give this team a better chance to win than Ellinger on Sunday? If you were truly playing this to win, would he be would Ellinger be the quarterback? You're brought into a situation where you know that Sam Ellinger is going to be your guy, where you know how bad this offensive line is going to be. I don't know if Jeff Saturday, as good a center as he was, is going to wave a magic wand and all of a sudden this group is going to be better. Again, I don't think there's an interim test going on here. I think there is, here's what I want you to handle for the rest of the year because it's in the crapper, and then we'll find out what you're going to do within this organization coming up after. Anybody agree with that that scenario? And I said part of that yesterday. But it was even more fortified to me last night when I was watching that press conference and then thinking about it afterwards. It seems like that there's no test going on that he has, maybe not this gig, but a gig, regardless. Anybody agree? All right, 239-1070, a break. We'll come back. Greg Raystraw is going to join us. Got Ben Brown, PFF, coming up a little bit later on. And, of course, your calls, whether you're inside the lounge via YouTube Live or 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. My vision is to take this team as the first franchise to the Saturn Football League and play against eight-foot gargoyles that run 3-8 speed. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. We've not played as well up front as we need to play, and I think you all know my, as y'all y'all have been kicking the out of me for years for not drafting wideouts, and all of a sudden I look up and, you know, we're underperforming on the offensive line right now. That's uh, Chris Ballard from last night. little dig in there. That's his fault. That is his fault. I, good. I'm glad we're not complaining much about the offensive pass catchers right now, but at the same time, 
Now, the reason why this offense is so dreadful is because of the offensive line. That's his fault. That's pretty good, though. You can tell. Dude was angry last night. There's no question about that. Ben Brown of PFF coming up in the 4 o'clock hour inside the lounge via YouTube Live. If you guys want to go there, do it. The stream, the app, HD radio, and so much more. Jeff Saturday is going to get that first practice in coming up tomorrow. Parks Frazier is going to be the play caller on Sunday. I believe... And this kind of writes itself joke-wise here. He was the uh, quality control passer guy on this team. Parks Frazier. Not uh, Milanovic, not Montgomery, but Parks Frazier calling the plays in Vegas coming up on Sunday. Post-game show host Greg Rakestraw is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I described what we witnessed last night at that press conference. It kind of reminded me of a, a... in living color skit or something it it was yeah. like that it, it was all more almost like more of a performance i mean you had you had jim ursay performing uh, jeff saturday was the straight man and then chris ballard was the angry dude it was something um it was otherworldly and, and i'm not sure that's that's in a good way as well um if you had told me when i woke up yesterday morning that frank reich was going to get fired i would say i would be slightly surprised but but not stunned if you had told me that Jeff Saturday simultaneously or within a couple of hours would be named the new head coach of the football team, well, um, I would have asked what you had been on, uh, to be to be blunt about it. Uh, I hope it works out for Jeff, um, but there's probably a reason why something like that has not been attempted in over six decades, which is to have someone that has not coached at the college or professional level become an NFL head coach. So it's it's been an amazing 48 hours, and uh, and I hope for the best come Sunday afternoon. Greg Gregstraw is on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Clearly, this would be a question grasping at straws, but I'm curious your answer because you've been around here forever, much like I've been around here forever. Is there any comparison to the elevation of a gig like Jeff Saturday to that of Larry Bird? taking over for the Pacers back in the late 90s after Larry Brown? I would say this. The, the, the answer is simply that's done in the National Basketball Association. It just hasn't been done in the National Football League. And I'm not sure if it is because you've got so many more people to coach in, in, in the National Football League than you do in the NBA. Um, it, it's, it's just seemingly like, hey, you played the game. You, you know the game. You can coach the game yeah. in basketball. In football, it is, hey, you have to work your way up. You know, you have to have experience as a position coach or then a coordinator. I mean, we tend to make a big deal when guys are moved from being a position coach to then being a head coach in the National Football League because that's kind of what was the deal with Chuck Pagano. You know, he went from position coach to being the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts in, in 2012. And along those lines, I mean, you heard you know Chris basically say, "Hey, we tried to make him the offensive line coach in 2019." You know, so they have they have have had those conversations. I will say this: if there is a person that that can make the jump and not be completely overwhelmed by it, I do think Jeff Saturday is the type of guy that can do it because of how well liked he will be in the locker room, by how well liked I think he would be by the guys in the coaching staff. 
that is still one hell of an ask to go from, hey, you were analyzing things on a on a Monday morning on this radio station, on ESPN television. You've had four years' experience of coaching at a small high school level to then say, hey, you're being a guy in charge of, a, of an NFL game day experience for the next eight weeks on the sidelines in a CEO role for a National Football League team. That's one hell of a leap. Greg, I think that regardless of what happens during this interim time of coaching up this football team, that he's going to have a gig doing something. Maybe not as a coach, maybe as a player personnel director, team president, maybe it's the general manager. I I think that he has been assured a gig. Do you think this is any kind of test for him whatsoever in terms of having future employment within this organization? I think that's a fair assumption. I think you could almost say this is a fact-finding mission at this point to see exactly what you've got on this roster, what pieces you would like to have stay going forward from a, from an assistant coaching standpoint, positional coaching standpoint, coordinators, et cetera, uh, to see, you know, to see what's here. And so that would put some logic behind it, which a lot of us were struggling to find yesterday. So Greg Rakestraw, post game show host and more via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. So was Chris Ballard the angry guy during that performance last night because he was not in agreement with what the owner was doing? And this decision, was he angry because before him were a bunch of people that basically all season long have been talking about how his decisions stink? Or was the guy questioning where his future might be going within this organization? What were we looking at? Can all of those things be true? I mean, I think Probably so, yeah. I think I had a lot of truth on every one right there. I, I don't. I don't think you have to look further than three, five, and one in year six. You know, when you had a, a you know, in, in 2018, you had a really good year. Even though it had a slow start, you go to the playoffs. You win nine of your last ten. You win a road playoff game. 2018 is a good year. 2019, it went off the rails because of something you probably didn't have control of. You find a way in 2020 for it to bounce back into an 11 win team then that quarterback elects to leave. Um, in 2021, you thought you had a good thing going, and it imploded on you the final two weeks. And so knowing that you needed to deliver a big year, even with all of everything else that has transpired in the last 48 hours, in terms of the Chris Ballard ticked-off factor, I don't think you have to go any farther than 3-5-1 and one and had to make a move on your head coach. Um, in the middle of the season. I think that's enough reason to be angry about life. Greg, I said this at the beginning of the show, and it's clear because I'm one. I mean, I look at the golden era of everything around here, whether we're talking about the Colts and certainly with the Pacers. um, I would view that point from an IU basis as well in basketball because when you win and you're highly successful, those are going to be the most memorable moments. And Jim Irsay with his football team right now is clearly still living the moments during that golden era. And I think we see some of that. We've seen that with the decisions. There's no question. I think we also see that with this Jeff Saturday decision. But here's most important to me, and I want to play off of what you you answer. I, I think now that Jim Irsay needs to realize one of the biggest benefits of the golden era here that went to winning 
that went to success, the elite level consistency among team after team during that era came when he stepped away and he was an owner and let football people in this case, Bill Poley and Tony Dungy handle the football side of it. That to me is what he needs to recognize and recognize moving forward. I would completely agree with that. And as the, the owner operator slash ambassador role that he has largely had, especially in the, especially in the social media era, Jim has been absolutely fantastic. It's not been a problem of Jim Irsay spending money. It's not been a problem of Jim Irsay giving time for coaches and general managers to be successful. In that aspect of being an owner, he has been absolutely tremendous. I'm sure there are other examples you can think of. Mark Cuban will probably come to mind. But in the National Football League, do you think of an owner that engages his fans in an almost exclusively positive way that Jim Irsay has done? No, he has been tremendous. Um, I would hope that going forward, that those are the areas in which he continues to focus on and continue to excel. This, this to me, this whole operation is FUBAR if he believes when he looks in the mirror that he sees Jerry Jones. I hope I again. I, I hope he does not. I, I, I hope he sees Jim Irsay and as again a, a guy that yes knows football uh, and a guy that 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 this is his primary baby. This this is what the Irsay family foundation is literally built on. Would be the Indianapolis Colts. Um, just being Jim Irsay is good enough. Yeah, and I, I think that that's to me. If if you're going to live through the great years of success here, that. That, to me, is the most important. Now, granted, yeah, you need a quarterback like Peyton Manning. Great. But the most important moving forward is just let the football people you hire handle football because that was one of the great benefits of the Bill Polian era here. That is correct. And, 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 and since, frankly, since it has been Jim as, as, as the lead member of the family from, say, 94-95 on, there has been a, a person running the football operation. It was first Bill Tobin, then Bill Polian, obviously Ryan Grigson, and now Chris Ballard. Um, and that's whether it's whether it's in Chris after after this year, we'll see. But again, that's what that's what Jim has excelled at for the better part of the last three decades, trying to find the right guy and then letting that person do their job. Hey, Greg, I could be completely wrong about this. I don't think they care too much about winning right now. And I think if they really did look to try to find a way to win, to try to be more competitive, and to do it as of Sunday, Nick Foles starts, in this case, over Sam Ellinger. Would you believe that? I think there's something to that. Frankly, it's the left tackle position that I think is even more leaning in that direction. Um, Because you saw it the week before. Sam Ellinger played winning football uh, against the Washington Commanders, and the Commanders aren't a great team. Um, But but what he did was good enough to win the football game. Uh, There was just enough mistakes. Just enough, you know, play calls, decisions, et cetera. Defense not be able to finish after playing exceedingly well for 50 minutes. Oh, that Sam Ellinger can win you a football game. And against a team like the Raiders, I think he can win you a football game. Is Nick Foles perhaps a better option? Maybe. But, but to me, Bernard Ryman, again, I understand to some degree you want to play the young guy to see exactly what you have. It's the same logic in Sam Ellinger. But when Ryman has been out there, it has often been a turnstile at left tackle. In his specific position, if he's not up to snuff, 
then you're completely killing your chances to win a football game. And again, maybe winning isn't the most important thing right now. But it's a little bit different to me at left tackle than at quarterback, where, you know, quarterback's going to make some mistakes, but you can learn from them. Left tackle's going to make some mistakes, you can make your quarterback hurt. And to me, you're always going to have more of a focus on the quarterback than left tackle. I get it. But that's just kind of my mindset going into those those two specific moves, personal decisions that were announced last night. Coming off that embarrassment in Foxborough on Sunday, maybe people don't look at it the same because that's where the bar is set with this team right now. But have you allowed yourself to think about the possibility of how much of a discombobulated mess this thing may look like in Vegas on Sunday? Uh, there is a potential for that. You know, when you do not determine a play caller until Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. um, and knowing that, you know, Monday and Tuesday, you know, that's <laughs> that's where the foundation is laid. You know, you have to have your game plan put together by the time your guys get back in the building on Wednesday because Wednesday is install day, Thursday is fine-tuning day, and by Friday you're, you're kind of winding down to, to go play the football game and travel, in this case, the next day. So if you're saying, is there a potential for this Sunday to look a lot like last Sunday against a team that I don't think is as good defensively as the team you just played? Yes, there is a high potential for that to happen. How do you think the players are reacting to this? Day off today? Here's here's how I'll frame this up to you because I I had heard that within that locker room there was some discontent when they made the change for good for the season to Ellinger from sure. Ryan. So if that were true, how do you think they feel about this move? I have no earthly idea because again, it has been six decades since you brought somebody in that had not coached in, in college in the national football league and made them an NFL head coach. So clearly that's a lot longer than them dudes have been alive. So we are, we are all living in very unique times and much as we are not sure how to process this. Uh, I guarantee you the guys in that locker room feel the exact same way. All right. So what you're telling me, since there's a lot of oddballishness going on right now, let's say this. Sunday is finally the time I get what I'm looking for. Sunday's the time to start Quentin Nelson at left tackle, right? That's <laughs> the time is seriously, the time is now. You're doing all this other stuff. So now's the time to get fifty six on the outside. If it had, if 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 Jeff had not said that Bernard Ryman was going to be the guy at left tackle on on Sunday, sure, <laughs> John. Yeah, well, that may be fleeting those moments, but I'm, I'm yeah, I'm I'm kind of halfway serious, not completely yeah. serious. I know that it's not going to happen, but I mean, hell, you're doing all this other stuff. Why I, not that? Because now now bringing that up and then having Chris Bowen laugh at it that doesn't that doesn't sound as outlandish anymore, does it? What do you think about there, it? There, there is nothing that is – I'm trying to not use a double negative here. <laughs> there is now nothing that is unbelievable in terms of game plan, strategy, personnel moves, coaching decisions. Again, given the fact that as of 9.30 yesterday afternoon, Jeff Saturday was an analyst on this radio station. Yeah. Or 9.30 yesterday morning. And as of 1.30 yesterday afternoon, he was the head football coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Hey, one quick thing regarding the start of college basketball last night. Anything strike, anything pique your interest about what went down in night number one? I mean, the fact that it didn't really affect the local teams, but the fact that a lot of, of, of I wouldn't say top 25 contenders, but that a lot of, of, of major college schools lost some by games, that's a good thing. It is also so stinking early. Well, I'm, I'm always happy to have – 
college basketball, then a couple of, of NAI games. I'll have my first IUPUI game coming up a, a, a week from this Saturday. Um, I understand why so many teams get knocked off on November yeah. the 7th. Because, man, you know, they're, they're going to be – even the bad teams are still playing on March 7th. It is a long, long college basketball season. But, frankly, as far as the local teams were concerned, Butler won their bye game. IU won their bye game. Heck, Ball State beat a Division three team by 70. I mean, it, it, nobody, slept, n- nobody slipped with a banana peel last night at Indiana College Basketball. All right. Well, enjoy your regionals coming up on Friday. Where are you going to be? So I got, I, got, I got two big games on Friday and Saturday. So I've got uh, Center Grove and yep. Warren Central uh, on Friday night. So I'm going to be in your neck of the woods at CG on Friday night. Nice. And then Saturday for the second year, I have the, I have the call the Monon Bell game. Nice. So Great. I will be in Greencastle for Wabash and DePauw. That game on Comcast 81, ISC Sports Network, social media, et cetera. But uh, I, I so loved my experience in Crawfordsville last year. I can't wait to be at uh, – at, uh, Greencastle to experience it for the first time on Saturday afternoon. Greg, appreciate you. Enjoy your weekend. Have a great post-game show on Sunday as well. We'll do it next week. Thanks, John. Greg, Greg Straw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Let's go ahead and pile up some calls, get your thoughts on my thoughts, and we'll all bring these thoughts together. Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach. See if you agree with a lot of what I had to say. I'm only halfway serious about Quentin Nelson, by the way. Shout out to Pelt Dog, who also had a similar idea. Well done. Quick break. Back with you next. The Ride with JMV. Are you kidding? You think I'd join this crummy snobatorium? But this whole place sucks. That's right. It sucks. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, of course. Yes, I do. You know, um, uh, there's no question about that. I, you know, um, it's not really even in the, the consciousness of my mind uh, uh, about that um, sort of thing. He was ready. He was burning right there, it seemed. Was he burning? Hey, Jamvi, you keep missing your opportunities to say debut and make 10-year-olds snicker in cars all over Indy. I normally like to say that instead of debut, debut which people do giggle about, and I like a great deal. Hey, go ahead, and I I just tweeted this out. Go ahead, please. Uh, Communicate amongst yourselves on my Twitter handle right now about 33's game last night. Did he have 37, or did I have a dream? Was I dreaming that? Did 33 have 37? And did I get a chance to shove that box score up all your rear ends last night? Because that made me feel really good. I hope it was a dream. But was it reality? He'll repeat those numbers collectively over the next six games. Ah, You know, is it that hard just to give a dude credit? Is it that hard not to be a jackass? That hard? Was it that difficult for you? Can you just not do it? Do you have to be a jackass? Are you playing a role like the performance we saw last night in that In Living Color skit? I was just sitting there waiting on Fire Marshal Bill to jump out and go, eh. <laughs> what is happening here? What is this about sausage? <laughs> Michael Jordan. Chris Ballard got compared to Michael Jordan. I'm going to be really pissed if you guys before 6 o'clock don't compare me to Howard Stern. Come on. 
Come on. I didn't go get to go to New York and try to win a Marconi last month. I want to win a Marconi. I don't even know what it is, but it seems like people like it. I think there's something called a Spectrum Award around here. I think you win one of those if you cut one on the air and they record it. Get to the sausage-making portion of the show. <laughs> it was a skit last night. It was a skit. You had the angry guy to the left. You had the performer in the middle, and you had the straight man on the other side of the performer. I will say this. Jeff Saturday sounded good. Jeff Saturday hit all the right notes, but... Jeff is going to be thrown into a situation beyond belief on Sunday. Again, if you want to embrace the old school days like I do, like a lot of us do, that's great. But from here on out, hire people to make those football decisions. And then it's got to love talking music. I love hearing music. Do that, and then be the owner. Don't try to be Jerry Jones on this. And if you want to be a leader among those NFL owners, be a leader. Be a vocal leader among the NFL owners. But as far as the football team operations, the best time, the golden era that Jim Arsay talks about so fondly and certainly recollects uh, to a degree where he trusts those that were a part of it to help make decisions and now really trusts one, to help make those decisions, embrace the portion in which you let others handle it in the future. Can we agree with that? Seriously, outside of Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, Bob Sanders, besides those names, Tony Dungy, Bill Polian, wasn't the best part about it was you let the football people handle the football things. That's your future. That's your future. And you can still love it and care about it and embrace it as much as you ever have. But that was one of the connective reasons why that era was so successful. Just remember that. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He is the uh, data scientist for PFF, running numbers feverishly right now. From the heart of Vikings land, Vikings territory in Minnesota, it's Ben Brown. How are things up there? Has it snowed yet? It has not snowed uh, to the point where it's actually stuck on the ground, thankfully. But we have had a few uh, what we consider dustings around. In these I think it snowed here and it actually so. stuck to the ground about a month ago. So what the hell really? am I talking about? Uh, right? I mean, but yeah. as long Did as, I dream it, that? As long as that doesn't last. Wait a minute. Hold on a second, Ben. Kyle, I didn't dream that. It snowed here last month. No, it did not. It did, too. No, it didn't. I didn't, I didn't dream that. Ben, what's your data say? Did it snow here last month? Oh, man, the weather the weather history. Um, I think it actually did for just a little oh, bit. It, but did, I, too, it did not stick to the ground, I would say. So. Oh, it stuck. It stuck to my lawn. My yard is what it did. Uh, speaking of sticking, how about the offense of the Colts? When In terms of all-time worst offensive performances in PFF history, where might Saturday's Colts offensive performance rank? It was really, I mean, 
I don't know if I could get that low given the filters that I need to put down there, but it was really, really bad. And I think, you know, kind of heading into the week, the, the, the scapegoat or whatever, uh, you know, Marcus Brady yeah. getting fired was supposed to be some sort of turnaround for this offense. But, uh, you know, even with Frank Reich out of the building as well, the pieces for why this team is not successful are still, I would say, very much in the building. And that's, you know, not going to speak too well to the long-term outlook for this year, especially. All right. Quarterback position. And I'm not going to lay everything at the feet of Sam Ellinger, but he was awful. Uh, much like the rest of this offense was awful. How bad did the numbers look in his second start? Yeah, it was really bad. It was, uh, I think it was the worst passing performance uh, that we had basically in week nine. Uh, you know, not very much from his rushing ability either. So it was, it's bad. I mean, we, you wanted Ellinger to at least, uh, you know, provide some semblance of a floor based on some of the pass protection issues and everything else. And I don't think, uh, you know, we even got that really either. So he was uh, the 26th of the 27th ranked passing quarterback. The only person lower than him was PJ Walker on Sunday. So it was, Wait a minute. There was somebody lower. Win that type of game. There was somebody lower. There was actually lower, but he only had 13 dropbacks, and they brought in Baker Mayfield in the second half. So, uh, so for a person that actually you know played the whole game, Sam Ellinger was the worst. Yeah, yeah, he was by a long shot. Rest of the offense too. Offensive line. Where's that grading out this week? Because to me, the reason why we're going through. Um, all this upheaval and a new coach and a guy that's never coached that came on from ESPN here earlier in the week, like yesterday and Jeff Saturday. The reason why we're here starts with the offensive line and just how awful it has been this year. How bad was it last week? Where is it right now overall in the NFL? I think they're, yeah, I think we still have them, you know, 30th of 32 NFL teams, um, you know, from a pass blocking grade. I think they're 21st last week only. So they probably didn't get, you know, as much of a share of the blame as maybe we projected, but uh, they they were still, you know, definitely below league average. But, uh, you know, a lot of it was, uh, you know, Sam Ellinger also just really struggling as well. And when that kind of falls, you know, apart, uh, the rest of the offense goes in that direction as well. You know, we've been talking about this team here, Ben, in Indy tanking, right? And when you look at it, uh, there is a legitimate opportunity that they can jump in that top three. I guess that coveted top three range with teams, for example, like Houston, like Detroit, that will want Carolina as another, that ultimately will want to draft one of those top three quarterbacks. And the Colts have to be mentioned, I think, right there in that particular category, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely with you. I think right now, based on our, you know, win projections, we have them finishing, you know, 22nd, which is basically like, you know, the 10th the overall pick or something like that. But if they can squeeze down, you know, <laughs> kind of like you said, because there's, there's some teams below them that, you know, kind of have at least, uh, you know, a moderate solution at the quarterback position. So, you know, they're only fighting off teams like, you know, Chicago, Jacksonville, and even Pittsburgh. Uh, they're much more in line to at least have somewhat of a pick uh, you know, of one of those quarterbacks when we come up here in April. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders are 2-6. and six. They play that team coming up on Sunday. But the Raiders, I wouldn't yep. think, with Derek Carr still, right? They won't go out and draft yeah. one of those top three quarterbacks. I mean, they might be like a longer-term solution. But, yeah, they still very much have like a, a, a veteran-aged, you know, roster that is set up to win now. And I think that, you know, when looking at it, uh, that, that was kind of maybe the move that the Colts could have gotten away from. But um, now here we are. And I think there is, you know, some – some opportunity or hope to actually, you know, finally bottom you out and, and finally having your, you know, quarterback of the future. Cause that's, you know, where the Colts 
found their success previously, right, and hitting on that quarterback position. And when you have that, uh, it, it masked a lot of these other issues that they're currently dealing with. Well, and I, I don't know what would mask the overall inefficiency and terribleness of this right. offensive line, but I would agree with you on that. I mean, that's certainly the direction they have to take, and it kind of looks like that's the way that they're going right now with some of these moves, certainly, that they have made. Ben Brown of PFFs on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. All right, on the bright side of things, the defense played well against a bad offensive team, certainly on Sunday. What do they look like so far through the halfway point, or at least in the neighborhood of the halfway point of the season? Yeah, I mean, we we, we have, you know, no qualms with uh, the Colts defense. And I think that they've, you know, kind of shown that even last year, I think they were, you know, much more big play dependent. We kind of have them, uh, you know, trending in the right direction uh, defensively. I think a little bit of their issue has been, uh, you know, a secondary unit, which, uh, you know, isn't, I would say, getting a lot from a guy like Kenny Moore, especially in the slot. I think that's kind of their one downfall, but uh, I think you've very much gotten, uh, you know, almost all that you could ask for out of Stephon Gilmore. And I think Isaiah Rogers as well, playing at a pretty high level. So they have, I would say, some pieces at crucial positions, which are allowing them to play, uh, you know, pretty good defensively. It's just, you know, it's tough to win a 10-7 football game week in and week out. Yeah, it is. But look at the numbers around the NFL, though. There seems like that not not just the games have been incredibly close, I mean, historically close, uh, many of those so far this season, but it seems like the offensive numbers, at least scoring wise, for most of the NFL is down. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very much down. It is kind of interesting because uh, even like the scoring that we are seeing has been very much driven by uh, like an uptick in rushing and defensive touchdowns and special teams touchdowns, right? So passing offense specifically. Uh, and especially some of those explosive plays where we see, you know, 20 or more yard type uh, receptions for touchdowns. That is at, you know, the lowest it's been in the last like 15 years. So that is kind of very much, you know, outside of just poor quarterback play in general, uh, very much, you know, driving, uh, I would say probably a less exciting product without, you know, passing offenses uh, really being able to take hold. So Ben Brown of PFF, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I know Buffalo's got a situation with the elbow of Josh Allen moving forward. How much of a red flag was it the way they played offensively and that loss they took against the Jets? Are they still at the top of the NFL or is somebody else starting to replace them as we hit the midseason mark? I still think they're um, you know, probably at the top. Obviously, the Josh Allen injury concern. Uh, it is very concerning because he is, you know, in a lot of ways, their entire offense, right? It's not just going to be a drop-off in the passing game, but uh, they're going to experience, you know, I would say a much more difficult pass running the football as well without him kind of being, you know, that dynamic playmaker that does offer some threat in the rushing game. So I'm concerned, but uh, the injuries are very much kind of starting to, you know, catch up to them. Both are, you know, all pro safeties, uh, Micah Heidel for the year, Jordan Poyer has basically been, in and out of the lineup, they haven't gotten Tredavious White back in the fold in the secondary as well. So their injury situation was kind of being masked by a really good front four with Von Miller, you know, getting to the quarterback and generating some pressures really quickly. But if, if that's not hitting, uh, you know, they're pretty susceptible, I would say, in the secondary. And I think, you know, if you see some cracks in the foundation, if Josh Allen misses a couple games here and maybe they aren't in line for that, you know, AFC number one spot that we kind of had them locked into, then they do look, you know, once again, uh, very vulnerable in a one-game playoff setting, uh, especially against, you know, a, a litany of other good teams, I would say, in the AFC right now. So 
although I still think they are, you know, the number one team, uh, I, I would say the gap has narrowed relatively significantly and could, you know, only increase in, at that rate uh, if Josh Allen misses any time here. Hey, ben, between the Jets and the Dolphins and the AFC East, which team looks, according to your PFF numbers, more legit at 6-3? and three? Yeah, we very much like uh, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, from, you know, even even just like a power ranking perspective outside of the AFCs, we like them uh, quite a bit just because they are, you know, one of uh, the only productive passing offenses that we've seen week in and week out, right? I think the main question with them uh, is definitely the defense, the secondary situation. Once again, pretty banged up and not really getting a lot of pressure. Uh, did trade for a guy like Bradley Chubb, so maybe that's a little bit of uh, a spot that you can buy into more, but the fact that they are very much winning, you know, over the top with really well-designed, successful pass plays where, you know, they're giving to a number of, uh, you know, pretty easy throws to make and they're being very successful in doing that. I think, you know, it, it points to them being, I would say, you know, very much legitimate contenders in the AFC. And I think that, you know, as long as, and especially if you are one of the only teams really productive passing the football, uh, that's going to give an edge over to you against any other team. And it's also going to be, you know, probably the sticky factor at the end of games for why you can maybe pull out some of these either come from behind victories or, you know, one score games that we're going to see more of, uh, you know, especially when it comes for the playoff. Time. Among these three teams, the Ravens, the Chiefs, and the Chargers are the AFC. It's the pecking order starts with the Chiefs, but where might those other two teams with their quarterback play rank after the Chiefs? Yeah, so we like uh, the Ravens a little bit more than the Chargers. We have been, I would say, you know, pretty much lower on the Chargers than the rest of, you know, power rankings, betting markets, everybody else throughout the entire season. Uh, in some ways, probably feel justified with that, but their record has, you know, I, I would say even been a little bit better than their performance. So uh, I think given the injury situation of the Chargers, the Baltimore Ravens, who, you know, are, are in some ways very much beat up as well, but uh, have a very... I would say easy pass forward coming up here over the remaining schedule. I, I think they are, you know, much more in line to finish with a higher seed, uh, maybe even challenge for that number one overall seed in the AFC. And if they do that, uh, you, you know, we've seen, you know, week in and week out, they're a very difficult team to beat when Lamar Jackson's playing as well as he is right now. So uh, yeah. uh, I think it's the Chiefs and I think it's the Ravens. And then uh, I would say definitely a tier or two below is the Chargers. You go with the 8-0 the unbeaten Philadelphia Eagles. Um, how far out in front are they of the one-loss Vikings? Because to me, numbers-wise, it seems like that they have more than an arm's length away from what the Vikings have done. Yet, you see Minnesota kind of surviving right there. They're one of the more impressive teams so far that's probably not getting a lot of the hype that certainly the Eagles are as an unbeaten team. Yeah, yeah. the, the narrative surrounding the Vikings is very much that they've been. Uh, they've, they've received a, a much bigger portion of luck plays in their direction than what any other team has. And in some ways, uh, you know, that, that is, that is in some ways played out, but I still think they, you know, have enough offensively and they're once again, you know, kind of pressing the right buttons from an offensive scheme standpoint to be successful with a guy, you know, like Kirk Cousins, that quarterback. And I think that speaks to, you know, Kevin O'Connell probably being the right hire and the right guy for this particular job. And he has, you know, the football team winning and having fun. And it seems like he's kind of changed the culture quite a bit. So, even if it has been, you know, a situation where, you know, some lucky plays have gone their way, I, I still think they are, you know, very much contenders. The problem is, is, you know, Philadelphia uh, is very much, I would say, the deepest roster in the NFL right now, right? When you look at the offensive line rankings, like you say, everything starts with the offensive line. 
that is where they are so much more dominant than any other team. We have them by far and away the best offensive line unit in the NFL. Uh, very strong, I would say, front four as well, and really good secondary. Uh, and they also have the playmakers at the wide receiver position. So I think if you were looking for, you know, a, a secondary team outside of Buffalo, uh, you know, the real conversation right now is how close they should, uh, you know, Philadelphia beat to Buffalo. Uh, and just how far away are those two teams, I would say, from the rest of the pack. So ben Brown of PFF, while I'm uh, making sure people know who you are, again, thumb through your notes and get to the Raiders because, Ben, uh, two and six Raiders in Vegas coming up on Sunday, the debut of Jeff Saturday as the Colts interim head coach happens. We know where the Colts have been, where they are at three, five, and one. The Raiders are at an ugly two and six in their own right, numbers wise on either side of the football. What's your impression so far? I mean, it has been, I would say, much worse than expected offensively. Obviously, we should expect some, you know, a few hiccups with a new, uh, a new, a new head coach kind of coming in, bringing in a new offensive scheme, new offensive coordinator, everything else. But uh, you know, last week they finally got Devontae Adams involved. I think that was kind of like the second time he's been utilized well, uh, and definitely featured him in the first quarter in the first half of that game. The problem is, is they kind of let the game, you know, completely slip away once again. So I think they very much are a team, you know, much like the Colts, kind of in disarray, right? And even if they do play you know, well for the first half. Uh, It's very much, you know, concerning that they don't seem to be able to kind of put a whole game together for four quarters. And I think that, you know, it's very much, you know, a a spot to buy low on the Indianapolis Colts in this matchup. Uh, But in saying that, you know, a a tumultuous week isn't really setting up for them to, you know, be able to play at their best either. So two teams that I, you know, don't really, uh, you know, buy into a whole lot from an offensive standpoint and defensively. Definitely still have some playmakers, right? And I do think, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, it's similar to the Colts' current structure. I mean, Max Crosby, you know, very much is, you know, a, a top five edge rusher uh, at, right now, currently playing like that. But outside of him, you know, the secondaries, I would say, uh, in, in a worse spot than what the Indianapolis Colts are. And I think, you know, outside of Max Crosby, uh, you know, they're knocking in a lot from a guy like Chandler Jones. And I think that, you know, it, it speaks to him probably maybe more double teamed than maybe, uh, you know, kind of capable of actually slowing him down a little bit. So uh, I I like the matchup for the Colts, I would say. Uh, Definitely a scary proposition to bet on them. But, uh, you know, I've been betting on them for the past couple weeks and I haven't gotten the results I want. So maybe I should try to go back to the ball here one more time. But I think think the Raiders can maybe be on, you know, a little bit of an upset alert. alert. Maybe, uh, you know, the Colts could shift the narrative a little bit and, you know, maybe not be – you, you know, in some ways, the laughing stock of the NFL with the team that recently fired their head coach. If they do win, <laughs> hey, by the way, the Raiders, I believe, have lost three games in which they've led by seventeen or more 17, points. Yep. Yeah, yep. so that's I mean, bad, not good. Right? It's bad, not good. No. Stop betting on them, then. What's your problem? Well, I don't know. You may want to bet on them this weekend. However, maybe right. That's the problem. This is a really hard game for me to handicap because I actually did bet. Uh, on the Raiders last weekend as well, and I, 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 I'm only imagining it, but I was very cocky. I would say at halftime on Sunday with them leading by 17 points, only to be, you know, kind of a laughing stock as well uh, in the second half for them. So two really poor bets I made on Sunday: uh, Colts, Raiders. Uh, and, and now I have to choose between them once again here in week 10. So yeah, I'm, the, I'm, 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 I'm pretty split, I would say. The Kirk Cousins thing, you're just so happy about the Vikings right now. Right. That's, right. That's you. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a big boost. And, you know, we'll see, obviously, 
once again, you know, the injury situation is kind of breaking uh, correctly for the Vikings. And if they do be, you know, a Case Keenum-led Buffalo Bills team, uh, they're, they're still not going to have many believers, right? So I think, uh, you know, the narrative is setting up for people to still be underestimating Minnesota for uh, a few more weeks here, which is, you know, I, I would say best case scenario for the long-term outlook, that's for sure. I did say, and we talked about this in weeks prior, that at some point Josh Allen is going to be injured, but I, this is right. not, I didn't expect the elbow thing. I expected it more, right. you know, on the run and all these RPOs. Cause I think he scored, he scored two touchdowns. Yep, two rushing. Touchdowns. Yeah, two rushing touchdowns. Man, he, he runs it uh, too, too much for me. I mean, he just does. Right. But anyway, this is not what I expected with the shoulder, or I should say the elbow situation um, at all. Ben Brown of PFF on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Ben, it's always a pleasure. We'll see what happens, and be sure to crunch those Jeff Saturday-led Colts numbers. And we'll be ready for you on Tuesday. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Somebody's got to hold this thing accountable. I know they don't want to trust the analytics anymore, but maybe we can at least. Oh uh, yeah, you, did you, know, did you take offense? Or negative light based on that. Did you take I offense? Mean, a little bit, right? A little bit. Oh, I you're a little butthurt. Oh, Ben, don't be butthurt. I, I think it's a step backwards, to be honest with you. I, you know, for as much as Frank Reich is obviously maligned right now or whatever, I do think you know at the beginning of his tenure, he was making. Uh, a lot of correct decisions. And I think, you know, the situation where they, they're talking about and how they're kind of portraying things now, uh, I would say is kind of very much uh, a step backward even from that. And I don't know if that's necessarily the direction you want to go here uh, coming out, in my opinion. But Yeah. We'll I um, You're talking to somebody that's probably more eyeball test than he is analytics. That's just right. because I – I'm get sick. Like when uh, what was it, Kyle? That uh, Jim Irsay brought up again, was it Quattro or what was that again? I'm I'm, I'm sorry, my uh, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of quadrants. words. Quadrant. What is it? The quadrants, right? Yeah, what was it again that he said? Do you not have that? Yeah, once I, I was going to I was going to play this for Ben. I want you to figure this this problem out, Ben, if you can hear it here. We're Kyle, the fourth me... winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right, that means. In the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. The hell is that? <laughs> so uh, the top quartile is the top 25th percentile, but then he went top quartile, top quartile, top quartile, which I don't even know if there's any teams left at that point in time. But uh, I'm assuming he's saying they're like the top second best team in the NFL since 2000, which – uh, I, I don't know if my numbers back up. That's for sure on that one. So we'll see. But you think it's the first time Jim says ever? Out. You think it's the first time he's ever used quartile in a sentence? I think so. so I know. Well, this is my first uh, time. I mean, I, I thought color tile or bathroom tile. I'd never heard of quartile before. Does that make me a hillbilly? Top. Uh, no, I would say <laughs> no, it doesn't. But it's essentially the upper quartile range, the top twenty-five percent. Uh, or, or bottom twenty five percent as well, right? Is, is is at least the starting point. But he went, he, he went to like the eight quartile or eight uh, tile, I would say, pretty quickly. I don't uh, even know what the eight uh, number is. All right, one more time, uh, Kyle. Play this again. Translate what is said here. Ben Brown of PFF. Go. We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since two thousand. All right, that means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare air. <laughs> All right, so what happened there? What was said? It's, it's rare air, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, my goodness. 
The fourth one is franchise of the leagues, where the upper quartile of the top quartile of the upper quartile is, is basically what I heard, uh, with one more quartile mixed in there. So I don't. I, I think if I'm running that number, he's basically saying he's the best team in the NFL, which isn't right. Maybe you can argue fourth one in this franchise of the league, but uh, I, I think he's overcomplicating the situation. I think that uh, it, you know is very much reflective of uh, maybe an unsound approach at this point in time. Did you study quartile? in class at Northwestern? There's very much, you know, a, a stats-based quartile, right? And it, it does fit in, and it's, you know, the, the bounds based or whatever. You look at the mean, median, 25th percentile quartile, and the 70th, 75th percentile quartile or whatever, right? That's essentially what I think he's referring to. But um, if you take it, basically, there's 32 teams, you know, 16 in the NFL or whatever, uh, or 16 is basically the mean or whatever, uh, then you have the upper rate, He's saying, you know, the, the upper eight of the four, he's he's up there in the second tier of the upper tier or something mm. like that is basically what he's saying. So Beautiful. Um, which is interesting. Don't be all but – Why don't you just say the fourth best team in the NFL if you're judging based on winning percentage. But um, I, I, I like to count championships personally here. And, with, and being a Vikings fan, we have zero, which is – uh, the bottom quartile, the bottom quartile, the bottom quartile. Uh, you've just you've, you've tied my brain up in knots right now. I got to quit the show. This is it. I'm done at four thirty. <laughs> Time for a beer. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Talk at you next Tuesday. Sounds, sounds good. Have a good day. It's uh, Ben Brown of PFF. I have no idea what was just said there. I like Ben was a little butthurt over the uh, lack of analytics. He's attacking his livelihood. Come on now. Uh, Mike Chappell of CBS 4 and Fox 59 is a Thursday guest of ours and will be coming up again this Thursday. Actually had a conversation that he tweeted out involving Frank Reich. I will read what Mike had to say, or I guess in better words here, what Frank Reich had to say to Mike Chappell. This is the first thing I've heard from Frank Reich since his dismissal yesterday. We'll get to that coming up on the other side. I got time for you as well. 239 1070. Get your thoughts about Jeff Saturday, the press conference last night. If you want to hit quartile, you better take it someplace else because I'm in a knot right now. And we can hit anything else you want to, maybe even a little college hoop, some NBA last night. You guys can all tell me how great I am uh, because of the night 33 had. Okay. I will accept all of your apologies. Coming up at 239-1070. Inside the lounge for your YouTube live, the stream, the app, HD Radio, and 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. This will be the high point of my day. It's all downhill from here. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It escalated quickly. He, he asked me, um, my wife Karen, and and you know, he said, "Hey, will you go have a conversation with your wife and make sure that you know she's on board?" And um, my son Josh still lives with us at, at home, and uh, you have that conversation. And he was, he told me he was going to uh, meet with Chris about it. And and Chris I, and I knew she's the most important woman. That's exactly. Right. That's exactly. Right. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had that. We had the conversation. We talked about it and prayed about it. And. Uh, um, then as the day progressed this morning, we, we finally came to a conclusion. But it was uh, a 12-hour whirlwind. All right, so if you're going all this way, can you finally embrace my Quentin Nelson idea? I know it's not the best time to do it because he's stinking it up too. I'm halfway serious, halfway not. 50-50 on this. Can we do it? 
who's going to notice at this point? Who's going to notice at this point? Seriously. Finally, my 56 movement idea sounds good with that, right? Yeah, the um, I, I apologize. Normally, this time of day, we're talking about a lot of things, you know, enjoying it. And it's, you know, last night you watched Miles and we had to talk about, you know, a, how do I put it? A very dramatic press conference performance last night all the way around. And then I got you stuck on quartiles. Normally, this time of day on a Tuesday, you get the sports arousal working. You guys are telling me how much I'm right about everything. And I go, yes, I agree. And then Ben Brown gave us the quartile conversation. And then it all ended. Sam Myers writes this, hey, I don't need any of this math learning on your show. Just give me HBO, Porn Talk, and Roadhouse. Bingo. Hey, JMV, I don't know about you, but based on expectations, I've been more impressed with Andrew Nimhard over Benedict Matherin so far. Matherin is the better player, ultimately, but getting a dude like Nimhard late in the draft is a win. Um, Andrew has played very well out of the gate. I was skeptical about it, too, because obviously he's a Gonzaga guy, and I watched nearly all the games, and I kind of wondered how he would look against a higher level of talent. And again, as I always have to say, early, incredibly early. But I'm on board with everybody talking about how fun this team is to watch, even beyond Miles kicking ass and taking names and allowing me to tell all you guys off, which is beautiful. That's the best right there. All you jerkweeds, oh, look at this. Where were you with this seven and six? I'm right there. You got to be up front with these stats. You can't just do it. I'm always there. I'm always a part of it. Always. So, no, incredibly fun to watch. You know how I know they're fun to watch? Chris Denary called me last night at midnight on his way home. <laughs> he said, I knew you would be up. <laughs> Here I am. I'm up. <laughs> That's how you know. There's your gauge right there. Kristen Neri called me at midnight on his way home, which I love. But he was right. I mean, you can expect me to be up. I was up. I had to get up at 530. That was going to be plenty of sleep. Weight Room Junkie writes this. I feel like Ballard was calling you out with the wide receiver comment last night during the press conference. Well, he's heard everybody talk about it. He's addressed Kevin Bowen about it before the whole wide receiver thing. And while he tried to make a joke about it, um, that was that was serious from an angry dude. That was a dude that was not in belief with the decision that was being made. Again, this is my opinion. There's no way he would own my opinion on this. But he was not happy. Do you have that, what he said about the wide receiver? Let me know when you have it. Because it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Not at all. Play it. We've not played as well up front as we need to play. And I think you all know my, as y'all have been kicking out of me for years for not drafting wideouts and all of a sudden I'll look up and you know we're underperforming on the offensive line right now I've told you how many years to take 56 to left tackle what more do you want from me 
Wide receivers. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that came from. That sounds like just I'm pissed and I'm going to say anything. Because that didn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't bother me, though. It doesn't bother me because I've been right. I'm glad that it kind of seems like right now the wide receiver's on the back burner. I'm glad. It's not been any fun talking about that over and over and over again. I know I've worn you guys out. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, is there anything worth reading in here right now? What do you guys got to say? Pretty feet. I don't know if I'm going to read anything from pretty feet. Where's Grifty in here? Grifty, get on board. Uh, JJ at 239-1070. Talk to the people out there, JJ. Tell them what you have to say. What's going on, boss man? Coming from uh, the town of Muncie. Let's go, Ball State Cardinals. They just dismantled the the shooting academy, the Dick Baumgartner location where we all used to go and learn to shoot Earlham, right? That's who they dismantled last night? Yeah, I think it was EC, yes. I think it was. Yeah, Earlham. I couldn't remember if that was an exhibition, but they played well. Yeah. They played well. They did what you would expect. What do you got from Muncie? Hey, uh, I got a lot to unload, but I'm going to say it uh, real quick about it. Jeff Saturday, you know, he's a, not necessarily from here, but you call him a hometown favorite. He's going to boost some morale, a little happiness in the in the uh, locker room. Uh, it's kind of a sign uh, of the T word that you can't say that ends in ink, I think. But it's also just uh, something soothing to the players, I think. I don't think they're done, to be honest. I think if they have the right strategies there, did they get rid of Reich at the right time? I don't think so. I don't think he had the help that he needed, so to speak. Um, that's another thing. And lastly, I think the world of Mr. Ursay, because he came out with the word that everybody is using now, it's going to be in the vocabulary. And, yes, the air is definitely rare up there. <laughs> JJ with us. Thank you for the call. But he also embraces the past. Clearly – with hoping that Jeff Saturday turns into something where, in large part, everybody like me goes, uh, what are you doing here? And then he can say, look, I'm genius. Look, you're not. And he embraces the past of those that he trusts. We know that from Dungy to Manning, Reggie Wayne, Bill Polian. And there's something to be said about that because, in large part, I agree. That's how I am, too. I'm very nostalgic. But in the case of Jim Ursay. To me, the biggest thing you can do moving forward, if you do want to lean on nostalgia to help lead the way for you, is do what you did during that era. When you hire somebody, don't meddle. When you hire somebody, let that somebody do their job now. And I mean all the way. If you decide that they're not doing their job well, then can them. Make a change. But along with a great quarterback, along with a great offense, along with some great edge rushers and Bob Sanders and Bill Polian and Tony Dungy and all that entailed, that golden era, one of the biggest reasons as to why you saw a high level of success is because you did not have a meddling owner. He let the football people handle the football stuff. That's what you need to embrace moving forward. Jonathan is next at 239-1070. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, good afternoon, JMB. Man, he, uh, Ursa reminded me of, uh, do you ever watch Dukes of Hazard, Boss Hog? Man, <laughs> 50% of 50%. I'm like, wait, what? Are you trying to lose us? 
And and yeah. it's all all this debacle and the showmanship is because the offensive line has been so terrible. They bring in a former offensive line who did his job right, and he's trying to figure out from an outside perspective what is going on. Why why is this highest paid line ever that we can't trade away in the off season because nobody would want him playing like this? And do, are we really going to have to move everybody after the season's over? You know, so. You know, Ballard, uh, you're right. It was it didn't make a lot of sense that he put that uh, the wide receivers in the line in the same sentence. Yeah. Because well, and that's it, that's both, because so. he's 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 pissy. Uh, that's just that's a sign of what I like to call being pissy. And I, yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, well, I think uh, Saturday's tough and smart enough. Uh, I think I think Ballard was saying, "Just fire me now, please." <laughs> and and. Uh, uh, he he made it sound like the media just attacks him, but they were asking legit questions the whole time. I think it was Rick Venturi, right, who said that football's played on the edges these days. Right. And offensive tackle was completely ignored. Uh, now it looks like we have five guards who aren't even athletic enough to play guards. So I think I think this rebuild might take a few years, and I just don't even know who the leading candidates are to do it. I would think the enemy. We need a tough guy like. Uh, enemy or uh, Sean Payton, or maybe even Mike Tomlin, if uh, the Steelers fire him. But uh, I, I've, I've I, said I, that I've said Jeff Saturday has a gig regardless of what happens during this interim run in the final eight games of the season. And it may not be the head coach; it may be something else. Would you agree that he has a spot for next season, regardless of the outcome? Yeah, I think uh, to keep to keep him out of the pressure maybe it'll be one of those cushier jobs that no one even understands the title of rather than general manager but definitely front office um i think we need uh, i think we need somebody with a super bowl ring on his finger uh as head coach and no more showmanship just toughness and uh, like dan said adult we need an adult <laughs> we need well, i think they're all adults to be honest with you i just you just need to have good football people that know what it takes to win in this era and unfortunately, yeah. this team has been built in an era where this is not where you're, in large part, unless you're Tennessee, winning football is going to be played. Right. I mean, we're going to need uh, a veteran protector. Uh, the free agency is probably not looking so good for us next year for left tackle, but a veteran blindside and um, no guessing. Um, in case Ryman's not the answer, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he was a tight end like two freaking years ago. So <laughs> he's he's probably yeah. still progressing. Yeah, that's not, yeah. I mean, this, this is the, they, and really, you can make an argument that if you want to try to get up in that rarefied losing air, as Jim Irsay put it last night, if you want to get up in that air of drafting one of these quarterbacks that people say everything great about, you you, you want to probably lose games here. And to me, you keep going with Ellinger as the quarterback and you put Ryman in there, really anybody at left tackle, but certainly that's not going to be any solution. You continue to go down that losing path. Yeah. Keep your eye on Will Levis. He's a, a Josh Allen prototype. So I think he could be good for us if he's there. Uh, by the way, the bottom quartile would be eight teams. And I think uh, the bottom quartile of that would be the bottom two teams. If we're lucky enough, we'll get all the way down there. My man, you call anytime, Jonathan. Thank you very much. I don't care how much you work me over on this. I am not going to install quartile in my dialogue ever. It's still going to be numbnuttery and jackassery. Not quartile.
Hey, Jamie Bal- Ballard said he looked up and the old line was in shambles like he was shocked. Did everyone see that he needed a left tackle coming into the season? Yeah. Uh, again, and I'll get to this on the other side, Chris Ballard was just pissy. And I get why he'd be pissy. Because you got all these knuckleheads like me and others coming at him constantly. And unfortunately, we have proven in a lot of ways to be accurate. And that's never good when you're the general manager and clowns like me and others have been accurate. And then you compound that with losing and a frustration and probably a decision that you wanted no part of but was thrust upon you and you wonder where you're going in a career. All that comes to a head and it leads to pissiness. I completely understand that. Uh, Jim, on the other side, more of your calls at 239-1070 inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Don't leave. The Ride with JMV. And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were, I'm on drugs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, this should be noted that this is the favorite song in the Elton John catalog of Kyle Udemar. Saturday night's all right for fighting. Welcome back to the show. Wednesday and Thursday on the road. I'll explain coming up in a bit. Ben Brown, PFF earlier. Rakestraw, post-game show host earlier. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. If you're inside the lounge via YouTube live, join the conversation. It's unique. It's original. And it's incredibly organic. That means radio consultants everywhere would think it's a blast because you get to go in there, you get to listen, you get to see. You get to see my chiseled, handsome features at the age of 52. And you get to participate, too. You're right there. And then sometimes if you don't drop an F-bomb, I'll even read it. Got some good folks in there. So join the conversation. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. HD radio, the stream, the app, and of course, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. Uh, Been swallowed up by the story. Jeff Saturday, interim head coach, first game he's going to coach is in Vegas coming up on Sunday. Frank Reich fired yesterday. It was Saturday, basically a couple of hours reported that he was going to be the next head coach. And then then you had the performance last night, and that's what I call it. More than a press conference, it was a performance. And to talk about that and more, he was there with the athletic Zach Kiefer's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I thought that Jim Irsay was the performer. I thought that Jeff Saturday was the straight man, and the angry dude was played by Chris Ballard. To me, it was almost like in an in-living color skit more than it was a press conference last night. What do you think? Yeah, John, we've we've had some strange press conferences at that facility over the last couple of years. This was right up there. This wasn't as stunning as the Andrew Luck news in 2019, but this was a little bit different. I thought Jeff Saturday shined. I thought he stood out. I thought you could see the, the charisma and all the things they like in him. Now, I don't know if this goes well. I don't necessarily think it does, but there's a lot to like about Jeff Saturday. And if this goes poorly, this is not on him by any means. But, you know, a couple shots at the media from, from Chris Ballard and from Jim Mersey, some strange references to the CIA, a trip to Mars, Michael Jordan's missed shot, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I think our tolerance for strange press conferences in this city is a little bit higher than most. But um, 
a very bizarre, a very bizarre night at West 56th Street. How much do you think this this hiring the Jim Irsay, and clearly this is Jim Irsay, all Jim Irsay right here, and we'll get to Chris Ballard and more in just a second. How much of this, again, is him embracing, much like I do and a lot of us do, the golden era, the past of success with the Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Bill Poley, and Tony Dungy era? Yeah, that's such a good point. I, I think they're grasping at straws here. They're trying to cling to the golden days. They're trying to pull back. And the problem with that is Andrew Luck's gone. Peyton Manning's gone. You're not going to recapture that. You don't have this lottery ticket at the top of the draft. And even if you fight your way in to the top five, and I know that's a strange way to put it, but it feels like they need to fight their way in by losing some games, you're not going to get an Andrew Luck or a Peyton Manning. So you're going to have to do it a different way. And they've been very – you know, that's been proven over the last couple of years. They, they can't do it a different way. They haven't figured out how to do it without that guy at quarterback. And so this seems like a desperate move, like a desperate move from a desperate franchise that's fading further in, into dysfunction. And it feels like it's being driven by the guy at the top, Jim Irsay. We've talked about this on here before, but this is a third straight massive move driven by the owner who – Long has promised he wouldn't meddle, right? He wouldn't make these decisions for his head coach or his GM, but it feels like it was him who drew the, you know, drove the bus with Carson Wentz. It was him who ordered the benching of Matt Ryan, and it was certainly him who drove the bus with this strange hire of Jeff Saturday. It's, uh, Zach Kiefer joins us, and I think because I do as well, I'm very nostalgic, and we, we love the days where either the team you cover – or the team that you're a fan of has a high level of success. And certainly we remember that era fondly. And so does Jim Irsay. But I think that even as much as Peyton Manning, even as much as Tony Dungy, and even Jeff Saturday, for example, Bill Polian, for example, the thing that stands out that I think moving forward now that Jim is going to have to embrace about the past is when they had that high level, that elite level success of the NFL, he stayed out of it. He stayed out of the football operations as he's been meddling, as you mentioned here most recently. That, I think, more than anything else, once we move forward, because I happen to believe Jeff Saturday's here, regardless of what happens in these games for the rest of the season in some capacity. We'll talk about that in a second. But if Jim really wants to embrace the past, to me, he needs to let the football people handle the football stuff. That's a really good point. What happens? What happens if Bill Polian is running this show? And I understand that Bill Polian is far more accomplished than Chris Ballard, but what happens if Bill Polian is running the show and he tells him who he's hiring as his head coach? Polian would have quit right there on the spot, right? I mean, I don't think there's any debate about that. And, and this, is, this is very fascinating because we have talked about how for years, for decades, he has fought to not be the owner that his father was. And he's not anywhere near the owner his father was in terms of volatility. Let's not be crazy. But he's starting to step in. He's starting to make these decisions. And really, it's a bad look when you tell your head coach that he has to bench the quarterback that probably gives them the best chance to win. I could make a case for two quarterbacks over Sam Ellinger right now on this roster. You bench Matt Ryan, you move to Sam Ellinger, which undeniably makes you a worse offense and then you pull out the rug from Frank Reich two games later. Now, Frank Reich's hands are dirty. He pushed for the Carson Wentz trade. The offense was a mess. I was there in Foxborough on Sunday. You could see it in Frank Reich's face. You could hear it in his words. He knew that it was over. 
But that's the problems that you're talking about when an owner is stepping in and directing moves needing to be made, not letting the GM be the GM, not letting the coach coach. This is new territory, and it's changed a lot over the last 12 months here. Yeah, he needs to be more like he was then and less like what – I don't know if he's trying to be or if it's just kind of a – a performance ego from you know doing concerts and you know getting the accolades at the owners meetings and all of this it seems like there's a little bit of a performance ego that was going last night too at least to me yeah that was the very word that i used that was the very word that i used last night in my story talking about an owner who's driving these changes and who's making these very very strange and bizarre moves driven by both impatience and ego, and it feels like that. We asked a million times last night, why Jeff Saturday? And I understand Jeff Saturday is an awesome dude, right? Everybody's going to agree out there. He's a great Colt. He's one of the best players in franchise history. That doesn't make him qualified to go from ESPN analyst to head coach in one day. And the, the answer we got from Jim Irsay was essentially he likes him, right? I mean, that, that just, that's not going to fly in this league in this year right now. Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You, like me, believe that it doesn't matter what happens in these games here beginning on Sunday in Vegas, that in some position, whether it's head coach, player personnel, decision maker, general manager, team president, Jeff Saturday is going to have a seat in this organization. Yeah, I think so. And I think Jeff Saturday is, is attacking this as a trial. I don't think he knows for sure if he wants to be the head coach long term. I think they said that last night, but I think they're also tiptoeing this Rooney rule where they want to have a full, complete, objective search in January when this ends and then find the right guy. But I don't think, I don't think Jeff, Jeff Saturday really, really knows if he wants to be a head coach full-time. But he's going to dive in, and he's going to learn what it's really like to be a head coach. I had a lot of people reach out to me yesterday, scouts, executives, former coaches that were in that building that would say – you don't just bring a guy in off the street to be a head coach. There's so many things that a head coach does that nobody has an idea about. And he's going to learn real quick. Now, Jeff Saturday knows the NFL schedule, but um, there's a lot of things that are going to hit him pretty quickly. So what do you think? Is Do you think he's going to have a spot, though? Do you think it's it would be determined? Do you think it might be a general manager, player personnel decision maker, a team president, over the head coach when it's said and done here? You know, John, I've covered this team for nine years. There is nothing I am ruling out. There is nothing I'm ruling out. Jim Irsay did give a vote of confidence for Chris Ballard, a, a pretty defiant vote of confidence for Chris Ballard yesterday, saying that um, he's a winner. Michael Jordan missed shots in his career, um, which is strange because this is the same owner that talks about winning multiple Super Bowls and winning three Super Bowls in a row, and he and he props up these we're in the top quartile of the top quartile of the top quartile. Well, you're, you're not that anymore, and I don't want to hear about your record since 2000. You haven't won more than one playoff game in seven years. You haven't won a division title since 2014. You haven't done anything of substance since Andrew Luck walked out the door. That's the reality. So they can talk all they want about the glory days, but this is a mediocre football team that's becoming a bad football team that – went 0 for 14 on third down on Sunday and had the most, had the least amount of yards they've had in a quarter century. So those are the, re- those are the real issues that need to be attacked right now. And um, whether Chris Ballard is back, I don't know how much we can put into Jim Mercer's word right now because he said two weeks ago that Frank Reich was safe.
Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. What did you make of the demeanor of Chris Ballard yesterday? Was it just where this season is right now, or was there a lot to do with what surrounded a, as they talked about, spirited conversation regarding this decision? And again, my estimation is that Chris Ballard wanted no part of it. Ultimately, the owner is going to win all of these conversations. How much did that play a role, again, with his demeanor that we saw at that press conference last night? Yeah, I think that's a fair that's a fair point. I think it's a good point because you saw a different Chris Ballard last night, and, and I think we saw that late August, early September, almost a snappish, uh, a little defiance from, from the general manager that hasn't really attacked press conferences like that in the past. I'm guessing here because last night publicly, you know, Chris Ballard admitted that he tried to hire Jeff Saturday a couple times. They've been around each other quite a bit, but this was Jim Irsay's move, right? All the chips line up with that. This was Jim Irsay's move. And when he called Jeff Saturday, Jeff Saturday's response was, wait, 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 wait. You need to tell me why I'm a candidate because this is stunning to me. And he said it was a, to say it was a shock was an understatement. So um, if you're a GM that's, I don't know, not on thin ice because that doesn't seem to match up with what Jim Irsay said last night. But if you're a GM that's maybe not as highly in favor as you want towards, you go hire uh, ESPN analyst who's never coached a game in college or the NFL to be your head coach for a season that you say is not waving the white flag. That just, it just doesn't match up. It just doesn't match up. And so I imagine those spirited conversations, were decided by the owner saying we're going to hire this guy whether you like it or not. But that's just my guess. What do you think that the the idea of Jeff Saturday began with Jim Irsay? What what was the inspiration here? You know, I'm I'm guessing here, but what what happened a week earlier? Like what happened a week earlier? The gang got back together, and, and that was it. Huh? Your glory. Yeah. You're, I'm guessing this is not what Jim Irsay said, but. You know, I asked him directly when, when the first time he thought about this, and he said it was Sunday night when he fired Frank and then called Jeff Saturday for the first time. But in his mind, that's a totally different animal. And what happened the week prior? They, they put Tarek Glenn into the ring of honor. They had the whole gang back together. They had Peyton and Marvin and Reggie and Edgerin and Tarek and Dallas. And Jeff Saturday banged the anvil. They had to be thinking. There had to be a conversation between Jeff and Ursay at some point where Ursay said, what's wrong with this team right now? And that had to be the first thing that popped into Jim Ursay's mind. Maybe Jeff Saturday will come back and save us because they certainly fought back on the notion that they're waving the right flag and, and, and trying to lose games the rest of the way. But I, I, did they watch their offense on Sunday in Foxborough? It's going to be really hard for this team that's turning to a 30-year-old in Parks Fraser that, to call plays to, to do any better the rest of the way. I mean, they're, they're running out of people to fire over there at West 56th Street. Yeah, I I would agree with you on that. And I know that Manning said on the Manning cast last night when asked that he didn't know about it until he found out about it from Adam Schefter, who was first to report it. You buy that? I don't. I don't. I think everybody in this organization probably gave Peyton Manning a call at some point over the last couple of days. But I'm I'm just guessing here. I'm totally speculating, which is a little irresponsible, but – I, I know that Jeff Saturday and, and Peyton Manning are very tight. This question was asked last night. We did not get a direct answer. It would not stun me if the guy at the top, Jim Mersey, or Jeff Saturday reached out to Peyton to see what he thought about this mess that we saw Sunday in Foxborough and Frank Reich and the move to go to Jeff Saturday as an untested head coach.
So, Zach Kiefer joins us. If they really wanted to legitimately win on Sunday, would they play Nick Foles? Yeah, like, I don't know if you heard Tony Dungy today. He, he said he wouldn't have benched Matt Ryan if he was the head coach, and he would be playing Nick Foles if Matt Ryan was injured over Sam Ellinger. I, the, the shame of it is you're, you're welcoming in the head coach in Jeff Saturday who I don't think has a choice in who he's playing at quarterback. I don't and either. I agree. Yeah. Every every decision is so hamstrung right now because they're down so – like, who's the longest-tenured offensive coach on the staff right now? Are you ready for this? It's Chris Strasser. Yeah. So that just is a peek into how dysfunctional <laughs> this team is right now. And some of the conversations I had from people around the league who have been in that building in different capacities over the last couple of years, stunned. They called it a circus. They couldn't believe this was real. And so I'm very anxious to get in the locker room tomorrow and ask the questions to the players, especially the veterans who came here to win, Matt Ryan, Stephon Gilmore, DeForest Buckner, who are doing their jobs for the most part, especially the second two. What do you guys think of all of this? Because this is unprecedented in modern NFL history. I think we talked after Matt Ryan was benched. And then not only when he was benched, I mean, at least it was a, a shoulder injury situation that you could lean on if you wanted to from a cold standpoint. But they went ahead and established that Ellinger was going to be the starter for the remainder of the year. And I had heard that some of the players in that locker room all, weren't all together thrilled about that. So I can't imagine what they might feel about this. No, they weren't thrilled. They were not thrilled, whether they said it publicly or not. I've been around locker rooms long enough to know what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing, and they weren't thrilled. They love Matt Ryan. And, and here's the other thing that's strange. You mentioned that they could have hid behind the shoulder injury with Matt Ryan. They didn't. They just said that Matt, that, that Sam Ellinger is going to be the quarterback no matter what the rest of the way. What if he struggled? What if, you know, what, if you're trying to win games, if you're trying to do everything you can to win games, which is what you owe your defense the way it's playing, then why would you voluntarily play a quarterback who's not giving you the best chance to win? I mean, there's no way in my mind Nick Foles wouldn't have been better on Sunday in Foxborough. I mean, he's got a history of doing some stuff against Bill Belichick. And, and I think if Matt Ryan comes back healthy, I don't know when that'll be. I think he's still the best quarterback on this roster. I'm not ignoring the turnovers, the interceptions, and the fumbles, but you can't tell me, you can't tell me it gets worse than what we saw Sunday in Foxborough. No, and I I think we know Ellinger, and I think if you really wanted to win, and I know people are going to laugh because it's Nick Foles, but because of his experience and because of who is going to be coaching, because of who is going to be calling the plays, I don't think there's any doubt if you really truly wanted to win, he would be starting a quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like, this is the one thing that Chris Ballard has said over the years that I'm going back to right now is, you guys watch the same games we do. Like, yeah, we do. Like, every fan that's out there watching these games, every listener you have, like, you guys watch the same stuff we do, and this is not that complicated. <laughs> no doubt about that. So, uh, we, we mentioned Ballard a little bit earlier as well. Is that key for the athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline? What, what compelled him, you think? I, I, I called it or described it as pissiness, and that's because we'd all – talked about things within this team and then most of us with our opinions about this team in a lot of ways turned out to be accurate we have been accurate about the wide receiver position in the past it, it, did that just come to a head as to why he kind of lashed out at you guys in that room about that and then compared it to why the offensive line plays at, at such a low level this season 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know if that was if that was thrown your your colleague's way, Kevin Bowen, who who was asked about the receiver, I don't know, a hundred times, and, and rightfully so, the last couple of years, and I've asked about it a lot as well, and I, I just don't know where that came from because if you spin it forward to their issues right now, I don't have a lot of issues with the wide receivers. Obviously, everything everything that's fallen apart, the root of it goes back to the line. The root of it goes back to the line, and. I'm not going to sit here and blame Chris Ballard for Quentin Nelson and, and Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly's regression. That just makes no sense to me, and I'm not smart enough to understand why those guys have gotten so bad this season. But the two moves that are indefensible, that are absolutely indefensible, is Matt Pryor at left tackle and, and Danny Pinter at right guard. And I mean, it took him nine games to realize Pinter couldn't play. It took him three positions. Like, what is going on? Like, the average Joe on his couch can see that they can't those guys can't play and that they keep putting them out there. And you got a rookie, you're not a rookie quarterback, but a second year quarterback playing his second game. And he's just not making decisions quick enough. It's just a recipe for disaster. And you don't have to be super smart to understand that. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the frustration. You know, Chris has said for years that it's all about the O-line. It's all about the trenches. He's obsessed with it. That's his word obsessed. And it's got to be gutting him right now. Actually, I know that it's gutting him right now, that, that that line, the most expensive line in the league, is just grossly underperforming. It cost Marcus Brady his job. It was one of the reasons Naheem wanted out, just because he was tired of not getting used the right way. And it cost Matt Ryan his job, and it cost Frank Reich his job. And and now you've got a situation where you've got Jeff Saturday as the head coach, which is still strange to say, Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback, and Parks Frazier as the play caller. Parks Frazier, did he get uh, called up to be that? play caller because he was Reich's assistant and uh, was as closely associated with his offense as anybody else or they just pull names out of a hat or what the hell <laughs> hey man Parks is a smart dude he he has climbed he is well respected by the players he is well respected by the coaches I'm not saying this is going to go well um, I was surprised Scott Milanovic has been a CFL head coach he's called plays in the NFL he's the head quarterback coach parks is the assistant quarterback coach and i mean this is this is this loony world we live in right now with the colts i mean you just never hear of a quality control coach calling plays a year later or two years later like that's just never happened but nothing surprises me going back to our original statement like they could they could go hire pat mcafee to um play safety tomorrow and like would it really surprise you that much what do you expect on sunday do you expect uh, a high level of FUBAR as I maintain, or will a lot of that be covered up because this is just how that team was last time out in New England and because somebody that most people around here hold in high regard is now coaching the team? How will that be viewed? Man, I don't know, but I can't wait to see it. My fascination level is a, probably at an all-time high. Now, check back with me in the second quarter and see if it's still the same, but I mean, don't you think Jeff's going to give him some oomph? Like, there's a lot to this guy. There's some charisma. I think, I think they're going to play hard for Jeff. He he he's really, in a lot of ways, everything that's great about football. Um, and I think his words matter. And I think the players will respect him. I think Frank Reich didn't lose the locker room because they respected him so much, but they were lifeless. Like this team was lifeless. You saw that Sunday in Foxborough. I think they'll come out with some juice Sunday. Now I just I just it's hard to have any faith in the offensive game plan. They're down so many coaches because they fired them. 
They've got a first-time play caller. Like, things are going to go haywire, and how do they respond to that? They don't have a lot of experienced guys on staff. Like, why not have Matt Ryan be, like, an assistant quarterback coach if you're not going to play him? Like, that's a totally realistic scenario in my mind right now. I don't know if they're entertaining it, but I think they'll play well Sunday, like, hard. I don't think they're going to win. But, boy, if, if the Raiders lose, that's a terrible look for Josh McDaniels. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, and that's another interesting twist right there. Do you think Jeff Saturday wants to start Ellinger? I'm going to ask that question tomorrow because Jeff Saturday's a smart football man, and he's got to know. He's got to know. And an offense that's struggling is going to get a lot better if they put a veteran out there, in my mind, who can get the ball out a lot quicker. Um, do we see Jonathan Taylor the rest of the season? I was talking with someone today, and they wouldn't be surprised if he – does not come back because of that lingering ankle injury. It just makes too much sense. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but it's a, it's a tough look if you're not letting your new head coach who's going to have eight games to audition take the quarterback that's going to play for him. Would you call this situation a tank? Man, it, 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 on the surface, it sure seems like it with these moves. Like, there's no way to explain the moves otherwise. The problem is they're like, they're not even close to the top five in the draft. So they're going to have to do some work to get up there. And I think it's totally possible. It's hard to see them winning more than two or three games the rest of the way. I do realize they have talent on this roster, but if you watch that offense Sunday in Foxborough, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they're, they're fighting that narrative though, man, they are fighting it hard. Jim Mercer fought back hard against that last night. Chris Ballard did as well. And it, it doesn't seem like they brought in Jeff Saturday to lose games. Cause that's just, like why? Why not just why not just follow the script and, and have John Fox do it? No one would blame you for that. Yeah. Listen, maybe it does work out. Maybe it doesn't work out on Sunday, but maybe it works out with, you know, getting your feet wet and the rest of the season and somebody that you want to keep around moving in a different direction. Maybe it works out to finally get that elusive long term future quarterback. I mean, maybe some things will work at work out that we're really just not thinking about right now because there's still that shock value of what's taken place in the past 24 hours, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And I think everyone out there that's listening to your show right now would agree. It doesn't matter how the rest of this goes. If you get a top five pick and if you find a quarterback, that's the only thing that matters. 2022 does not matter. They're not going to make the playoffs. All that matters is 2025. If you can find a guy that's going to be here for 10 years and get you off this rent-a-QB cycle that's so exhausting that this team is just tired of spinning its wheels on, then all of this is worth it, and you don't remember the 2022 season because it, it doesn't matter. How much do we talk about the 2011 season around here? We laugh about it, but the end result was such a substantial payoff that it doesn't bother anyone that they won two games and lost 14 that year. So, Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. What's your latest? Prop it up here. Man, I, re- I recapped a unbelievable surreal night at last night at the Colts facility. Uh, the lead is not kind to the Colts, but that's really what I took from last night. And tomorrow I'm going to canvas the locker room. I'm going to ask every player I can find about what they thought when they heard the news Jeff Saturday, if they even knew who he was. Some of these younger guys, I would be surprised if they knew much about Jeff Saturday. And then I'm going to get the temperature in the locker room. For the, like the fifth time in the last couple of weeks, there's been a major move, and I want to hear what the players have to say about it. Yeah, the, the poker faces will probably abound for you coming up tomorrow. So 
I'm sure you're prepared for that. Always a pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, John. That's uh, Zach Key for The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. 30 strong to close the show with me and you at 239-1070. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. All that we have talked about, and don't forget the Pacers a win last night. Pacers better and certainly more exciting than you thought that they would be through this first 10-game stretch? How do you feel about that squad? Getting that win last night at home over New Orleans? 5-5 five and five on the season? 33 going for 37. What is it, 37-12? and 12? Yeah, build the statue. There's, there's your statue right there, right, Kyle? There's the statue. Quick break. We'll come back with your calls. Plenty of time on the other side next. The Ride with JMV. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. Ben Brown of PFF and Greg Rakesra a little bit earlier. Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Election Day it is right now. I know a lot of you have been out and about doing that. Hopefully it was an enjoyable experience. Uh, JMV, I can see the final game against Houston, a grudge match to see who can lose and get the higher pick without being so obvious that they want to lose. Chicago Colt writes this, even though they're 14th now, the Colts are only one and a half games away from being the top pick in the draft. It would certainly seem that a top three opportunity is within reach, does it not? Jim is at 239-1070. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, JMV. All the commentators say that they've never seen a coach appointed before with no previous NFL or college coaching experience, and it happened right here with the Colts. In 1974, the Colts had a very arrogant general manager they had hired from the undefeated Dolphins. The Bobbers, say, ordered Coach Schnellenberger to bench Marty Domrez and play Burt Jones, and Schnellenberger said that Domrez gives us a better chance to win. So they went to Philadelphia Schnellenberger played Domrez at halftime. The general manager and Bob Ursay went to the locker room, fired Schnellenberger. The general manager, who was very arrogant and had bragged that this was his team, well, Ursay turned to him and said, you say this is your team. Well, you can, hired them. You can put I, them hey, hey, Jim, can I be honest with you? I, I, yeah. I don't think pe- people, I think, only care about when this organization started here in 1984. I don't think they care about stuff previous. I know, but, but Rake Strauss said six decades. And, yeah, this is I, I think he was going with the Norm, the Norm Van Brocklin story is what he yeah, was referencing well, right there. So, Jimmy yeah. was a teenager and there and saw that, Here's the important part about that relates to Bowers. we got to go quick because I don't have time for this okay, damn story well, here. Anyway, Ursay pointed to uh, Thomas and said, you put this team together, you're my coach. You coach them or you're fired. Uh, hey, Jim, I, I appreciate that, but I, 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 they don't give a damn about us, and I don't give a damn about them. I don't care what happened in Baltimore. I don't care what happened with this franchise previous of 1984. 
I, I agree, and and you know you you obviously know what you're talking about, Jim. I'm not suggesting that you don't, but I, I don't think anybody really cares. Previous to 1984. Hey JMV, how much is playing Ellinger over Ryan or Foles stunting the growth of Pierce Pittman and the young tight end group? Not nearly as much as the offensive line might be. Not nearly as much. JMV, I'm not defending Ursay, but if it's my team, I'm not setting aside and taking this uninspired play passively. I'm absolutely getting more involved. All I'm saying is, Mark, and you're right. But when he gets directly involved and or medals, it normally is not going well. All I'm saying is, if you're going to embrace the past, embrace that portion of the past in which you let a football guy or football guys handle the football stuff. That played as significant a role as anything else. You can be front and center as an owner of the NFL. If you want to provide leadership for other owners of the NFL, if you feel that is your calling, then do it. But let the football people moving forward handle the football stuff. And there's nothing bad in saying that. All I'm doing is setting you up for if you really truly love and embrace the past, that was a huge part of it. Huge part of it. It's from Jeff. You got to cut that guy off, Jim, and be rude to him. I wasn't rude to him. The hell the hell was I rude to Jim? You think I was rude to Jim? No, I don't think so. You got to get back to your crying. Well, you can take a big smooch off my butt there, Jeff, is what you can do. Yeah, I know the guy talks a little long, but so what? It ain't like you're breaking any new ground here. Uh, no, but I'm also responsible for, I think, what people want to hear, and I'm just not sure they want to hear about the Baltimore Colts of 1974, numbnuts. Now, there I'm rude. <laughs> so, I didn't want to be rude to him, and I certainly don't like cutting people off, but I'm quite sure that nobody wanted to hear about the Baltimore Colts of 1974 any more than they already had. Hey, Janvi, let's switch to the Pacers really quick. Are they playing too well to keep Victor Wambayama away from Indy? You want to see results. You want to see a team that is showing something show results. There's nothing wrong with it. I enjoy watching them play and the fruits of success in watching a team and being enjoyable to watch play would be winning some games. It just comes with the territory. Numb nuts. I'm Jeff. You were so rude. Quick break and we'll come back. <laughs> was it rude at all? Everybody else is saying, hang up on this guy. I was nice. You're crying. Nobody's crying. Just telling it like it is. And that's what you get three hours every day, Monday through Friday. 
See, this is what happens. This is why I follow the guidelines of the great Dalton. Be nice until it's time not to be nice. Back with you. Final time next. The Ride with JMV. The Sportos, Motorheads, Geeks, Sluts, Bloods, Wastoids, Dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. This is for Todd Meyer, who called in that request. At 239-1070. John Stewart writes this. Our Indiana professional teams can't seem to get things right. The Pacers are supposed to be losing, and the Colts are supposed to be winning. Just our luck here in Indy. Total numbnuttery. Don't know whether to laugh or to cry. The Pacers are fun to watch, especially 33 last night. You guys dig on that? Well, 37-point effort. You guys loved it. Hey, JMV, is it crazy to think Rodgers and Adams can reunite as Colts? It is outside of your mind, bat blank crazy, sir. Mike Orr writes this. Yes, you were a little rude. Some of us wanted to hear the story. Better than some conversations you have. Again, you, much like Jeff, can smooch the rear end because I don't care. But I still like you and listen every day for three hours. JMV, Wimbayama was and is a pipe dream. There are other te- or other ways teams are more dedicated to tank. You know what's funny? You look at the Pacers, you look at the Jazz, you look at the Spurs, you took three teams that were, I think, essential in the whole tanking philosophy, supposedly. All have had really good starts of the season. Uh, from Alexander, what's the biggest difference in the game that you see from Miles? Well, it's not having Sabonis out there, and it's having an elite-level passer when he's involved in that high ball screen. He gets it now when he's on that dive off the high ball screen more than, let's just say, none if Malcolm Brogdon was rolling with him. Tyrese Halliburton makes all the difference in the world as an elite-level willing passer. And it gets you more fired up. Gets you more fired up when you believe that you're going to get the ball as opposed to, well, there's no way I'm going to get the ball out of this. Well, wait a minute. He used to stand over in the corner, and you think that he wanted to do that. No, he was directed to do that. But no, Alexander, that's it. There is a lot in the willing, elite-level passing that Halliburton has to offer that has certainly helped out 33. And I think you saw that again last night. There's a ton of high ball screens, and he will, he'll go. He'll go to the rim off of it. And like it used to be, if he was coming off that high ball screen, utilizing that, for example, with Brogdon, Probably wasn't going to get it. Now there's a pretty good opportunity that he's going to see the ball. Eric writes this. Wasn't it just a few years back that the Cowboys' old line was the best then in like a year? It just went away. Why is that? Shelf life for the job? Maybe. I don't know why it is here. I wish I knew. I wish I could tell you. I wish I had a really good reason. The only good reason I can come up with you're probably not going to like. I think they were just incredibly overrated, and I think two years ago they got overrated by playing with Phillip Rivers. 
when they were described as a great offensive line and they were established in those many words around the NFL, to me it wasn't because of the serious protection that they gave Phillip Rivers. It was because Phillip Rivers snapped the ball and got rid of it immediately. I think that set the bar. Now, granted, did they block well in the run game a year ago to help out Jonathan Taylor to lead the NFL in rushing? Yeah. But I think part of the legend that became completely untrue this season of this offensive line was built the year before last with Phillip Rivers pulling the trigger. Sean writes this, that the Pacers keep winning. Will Turner and Heald still be traded? I can't imagine that Miles at some point will not be traded. I enjoyed last night. I enjoyed last night because I know that it hurt a lot of you out there, especially a lot of you that tweet me after, for example, a week ago Monday night. So that gave me a great deal of satisfaction. Now, tomorrow night, it'll probably flip the script on me, right? Because it's happened before, probably happened again. But you know what? I'll still embrace last night. I shout out to Greg Rakestraw, who was with us a little bit earlier today. Ben Brown of PFF, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. You guys inside the lounge via YouTube Live, absolutely fantastic. Yes, you callers and you emailers and Twitter followers, too. I can't thank you enough for being a part of this every single day. You know, by the way, JMB Takeover Saturday night, B1057, best of the 90s. It's going to be a blast. Kyle, great job out of you. Back with you tomorrow right here at 3. Be here.